The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, who in creating human nature has wonderfully dignified it and still more wonderfully reformed it, grant that we may become partakers of his divine nature who deigned to partake of our human nature, thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, throughout all ages of ages. Amen. I had to read that collect, that prayer again because I was thinking of... Uh, and I looked at that, and there's a video I'll show. It actually was triggered by what's behind me. I blocked off the image of Christ, and I thought the only icon left is the one of the mother of God with the Christ child in her lap. And I thought that's really more fitting for what we're trying to, uh, what we're hoping all of us to learn about ourselves and our place in creation. Uh, and that is that God wants to manifest himself through humanity. And that's part of his divine intention from the beginning. So our work is doing our part in making sure that we are open to that activity of the divine and so that we become the vessels through whom God manifests himself on earth, Christ-like, if you will. Uh, I was just telling, talking to Father Mark about there's a, a video, and I, I, I really want to show it to you sometime. It's real brief, real brief. But it's, it, it shows a woman lying on a... On a on a field, she's just lying on the field looking up and you see her face and then it, the, the scene backs out and it's up, you know, thousand feet up looking down at her lying there. You can't even see her anymore. It shows you the, what's around her. Then it keeps going back and suddenly you see the state and the nation and then suddenly it keeps going back and you see the whole earth and then it keeps going back and you see the earth in the, in the, in the, in the what do we call it, the solar system. You see the solar system in the galaxy, and it keeps going back and back until suddenly Earth is a speck that you can't even see anymore. And just when you get the picture, wow, you know, remember God's outside of all of that. And then then turns around and goes back all the way until once it hits the woman's eye, goes to her face and then to her eye, and then it goes even further still until you start seeing the DNA and the atoms and all of that ends there. There's another video that, that shows, I mean, that's earthly and materialistic, but... There's another one that, that, that is a, it's an Arabic antiphon uh, on the nativity. And the imagery shows space and then shows earth. And then the earth rotates to you see the Middle East. And then the, the view goes right down to the, the, the sepulcher at the church, or not sepulcher, the birth part of the church of the holy nativity in Bethlehem. Uh, and it really drives home the fact of, of our place in creation. Uh, so one of the reasons for learning all that we, we are studying is not just to be knowledgeable so we can pick on people, uh, but, but so that we can find ourselves, find our rightful place, each of us, in this dr dramatic picture of God's creation and our place in it. Uh, and we want to open ourselves to that because that's really the way to do it. We, we, don't, we don't grasp it. We don't cling it. I mean, to think of God beyond all of creation and all of the universe, uh, who can grasp that? And that's the idea. Uh, we don't want to try to master it. We never will. Uh, but we want to know what our place is so that the more we are open to it, the more God can reveal himself to us. So today, the one thing that this may seem rather, uh, rather is not a part of this overall picture, and yet it is. And that is, why do Orthodox Christians, Christians worship on Sunday when the Old Testament establishes Saturday observance? Hmm. 
that's usually a question put to us by what are called Sabbatarians, that is people who do work, Christians who do worship on Saturday. And it's usually in observance of the commandment in one of the Ten Commandments, the, the one in Exodus 28 to 12, and I quote, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Uh, if you haven't been asked that question, you might at some point in time. Usually that belief in Sabbath worship in a literal interpretation, absolute literal interpretation of that text even for Christians, uh, includes the belief that Christians had it right until 325 when Constantine uh, made Christianity legal. Uh, and that Constantine is the bad guy who made worship on Christians mandatory. He didn't actually. Historically, he out all other Christians doing anything on any day besides Sunday. So that's basically what he did. Uh, and Constantine is saint in your church. And if you're wondering about that, it's really interesting that for years and years, I give you probably did too, hearing about the bad Constantine. He was this guy who was against the church and everything else. And as it turns out, there are many historians who are now reassessing his role in Christianity. I have two books in my library by two different scholars, and they're 20 years old. <laughs> so that's how long this has been going on. And we've been calling him a saint for 1,500, 2,000 years. So uh, it's been a long time. And, and so anyway, the, the whole notion is incorrect. The first Christians met corporately beginning, beginning on Saturdays, in the beginning, uh, because... Uh, we follow the Jewish tradition. Remember, the Christianity started in Jerusalem and then spread out. And as it spread out, it went first to the Jewish, the Hellenistic or non-Palestinian Jewish traditions, and then began to go to the Gentiles. Uh, so when, you, when, they, when the Christians went out and went to the Jewish communities, the first places they went were where the Christians, where the, the Jewish people gathered, the synagogues. Remember, in, in Judaism at the time, the worship was the temple in Jerusalem with all its sacrifices and its liturgics. And then each town and village had what's, what was called a synagogue, uh, which was a, a, a house of a sort of form of worship similar to our vespers or matins in their full form. Uh, but but it, they were done, it, taken, they had taken the parts of the, the temple worship that the lay people could do, and they had re replicated them in these, including scripture readings. So they met, in honor of that text on the Sabbath, they met, and remember the Sabbath started on Friday evening, and Saturday all day, and then ended on Saturday evening. So Friday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday or late afternoon. In the movie, The Frisco Kid, there's this rabbi traveling across the United States, and he's from Eastern Europe. There's a wonderful scene there where he makes the train stop on Friday afternoon, and he gets off the train, and he's commenting as a narrator in the, in the show, and he says, most people don't understand that in Judaism, we don't work or travel on Saturday, and Saturday begins on Friday. Uh, and so you have to chuckle when you hear it. Well, that's the way we do in orthodoxy. The day, Sunday began yesterday at Vespers, folks, not this morning. <laughs> yesterday at Vespers. But you see, in America in the 20th century, the 21st century, you can tell how old I am. This 20th century is the century for me, see. Uh, in any case, in the 21st century here, uh, we th see a day as being the daylight hours from dawn to dark. Uh, and in the ancient world, in Judaism at least, that which the church inherited, 
the tradition which the church inherited, the day began on Saturday Vespers, roughly late afternoon the day before, and ended at the same time the, the, the following day. So Saturday would have begun on Friday about 5 o'clock, roughly, our time, and ended, or, or earlier even, and then ended at the same time on Saturday. So the first Christians went to these places and went to the Jewish communities and went into the synagogues. And what they did was go in at the service time. So they, they had their service. They, they did all this stuff that they did in the synagogues. And, and it's changed and developed over the centuries. Uh, some scholars say that what you see on Good Friday, the first part of the liturgy on Good Friday, is what a synagogue service looked like at this time. I don't know if that's true. I haven't been able to verify it, but it's certainly a good possibility. So just notice when we get to Good Friday, the, the, the first part of the service, starting with the lessons and the like, is probably what a first century synagogue service looked like. Uh, after the Christians left the synagogue, when the Jewish people left the synagogue, they went home. Uh, unless they were in Jerusalem, then they went to the temple and did some, some more of the temple ritual if they needed to. Uh, but in any case, the Christians went, didn't. The Christians didn't go home like the Jewish people did. They instead went to private homes and did the second part of their service, which was a Eucharistic celebration. So you have the synagogue liturgy, which is basically our liturgy of the Word. And then one has the liturgy of the Eucharist at home. So synagogue, home. Uh, obviously, when not everybody could go to synagogue or wanted to. Uh, and it, but that piece, the putting together those two pieces gave us the beginning of the well, liturgy of the word and liturgy of the table, or what's called the proanaphora and the naphora, the anaphora. This was Saturday night, and then afterward, after the second service, which meant it was Sunday, even though it was still Saturday night. They all understood that. We don't get it. But they did. So it was the service started Saturday evening or afternoon and went through Saturday evening. Uh, by the way, the Easter celebration, the great Paschal liturgy, uh, was done sort of like that, but it was in the morning. Imagine that whole service with about 20 lessons done first thing in the morning so that you started Mass about the time that the sun rose or parted through the sky. And it was so long that nobody could endure it. So they broke it in two pieces. Part of it at night, the vigil at night, and the mass in the morning. Well, that became too much. And so they moved the mass, in the Western Rite, they moved the mass up to the evening before, which is where we have it. In the Eastern Rite, they've also moved the whole service up. And they, have the whole, they never did separate it. They moved it all up, and they do it about 2 o'clock in the morning, the whole thing. Uh, they're very similar, but just you just plan to be here a long time at that service. That's just the way it is, you know. Uh, so in any case, so wherever Christianity was founded in those in the early first century, this is the model that happened. And again, they went there two parts. You'd go to the synagogue, and then you could then you would come to somebody's home. Well, that didn't always work out because not everywhere had a synagogue. Uh, and starting around 60 AD, the Jewish community, realizing that these Christians were not a sect of Judaism, began to oust the Christians from the synagogue worship. And they did it primarily by adding a prayer or two to their service that basically if a Christian said the prayer or even stood there in the presence of it, he was basically denying Christ. So they understood something about us. 
make them deny him. So the Christians just didn't go anymore. So they all went to homes. And what do they do? They did the, well, we always did this first part, and this is what we did. So the liturgy of the word was born. Now notice, this started as early as 60 AD and was probably completed by 90. This is first century behavior. Notice in the, in the Bible and in the early texts of the church's life. The New Testament, Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, the first day of the week is Sunday, Ro, uh, Rosh, how do you say it? Yom Rishon in Hebrew, the first day, day one. That's important to remember that, day one. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, this could be Saturday evening, doesn't say. The account is placed between 49 and 62 A.D. Acts was written around 80 after the fact, pretty early. The Didache, a non-scriptural work written around 90 A.D. By If you read any books, by the way, scholars in the 19th century said 90s A.D., and around the early part of the 20th century, scholars began saying that's not right, that it's a big projection, and it's actually much later than that, and now scholars are coming back and saying, oh, guess what, they were right all along. So 90s AD, written around 90 AD, it says, every Lord's day do you gather together yourselves and break bread and give thanksgiving. The Lord's day, Sunday. Revelation 1.10, written about 95 A.D. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And from St. Ignatius of Antioch in his letter to the Magnesians, written around 107, those who were brought up in the ancient order of things have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day. So it wasn't Constantine, it was long before that that the church was worshiping on Sunday, what we know as Sunday, which might have been Saturday evening. And the theological impetus of this was that the whole thing of what everyone did, everything, was related to the concept of the creation. We've been reiterating that throughout lessons that we have taught in the last year and a half. It's all a creation. God creates this world. And he creates us to have a place in it. And he's recreating in the incarnation the whole situation so that we can fulfill that part and that place. So creation is the, is the relation here. The resurrection was on Sunday, day one in Jewish thinking, day one of the creation. So day one is a concept related to the opening of Genesis 1. Christ's resurrection is a recreation. So we are participating in the recreation. We are at the beginning, so we go to the end to come back to the beginning. What are we doing? Transcending time. The incarnation is the pivotal point in the story of God's people. Do you know that some of the patristic writers, this really I struggled with this for a long time, said that the incarnation is not the res God's result or reaction to the fall of man, that even if the fall had not occurred, God would have been incarnate anyway. And that's the teaching of the church. So it's not a reaction. God didn't say, oh, my creation messed up, so i got to come up with something to take care of it. He had already planned to become incarnate, and what we did was throw a monkey wrench in the system. So now we're trying to go back. 
And the incarnation is the pivotal point. All of that in the New Testament points toward the incarnation. Everything about it, everything about Judaism points to the incarnation. It's too bad they can't see it. And for us, everything, everything points backward to the incarnation and forward to the outcome of it. Back to the creation and forward to the, re, the end of recreation. Eternal life. The incarnation is that pivotal point when God becomes man. So liturgically, in the Eastern Rite, each week begins on a Monday and culminates on Sunday on the recreation. In the Western Rite, each week begins on Sunday and culminates on the following Saturday. And that's not to say that one does the recreation and one does the creation, but it's both and. It's a whole time. Essentially, Sunday is the same day, the beginning of creation, the beginning of recreation. So in answer to the question, Sunday worship is found, number one, in the New Testament and in the first century during the apostolic period. That's why. This means that it's biblically authoritative, as is the commandment to worship on Saturday. So obviously we have to understand something about the commandments and the Old Testament and be able to be able to interpret it correctly. It's the consequence, Sunday worship, of the incarnation, as Sabbath worship points to the incarnation and the recreation. Sunday worship is also the consequence of the church's encounter with God, and the church's worship is encounter with God. I hope you're hearing that on Sunday. We are being drawn into what God is doing, encountering him. And we want to do that. We don't want to just show up and do our duty because this is what they told us to do. We're missing the point. And lastly, the historical circumstances are, are in some ways a peripheral issue as St. Constantine had little to do with this scenario. Little to do. What we do for us, then what we do is biblical. It's also apostolic. Isn't that funny how we keep coming back to the fact that what we do is biblical? It's just in a different way than our society around us has taught us that it's supposed to be. That should make us open our eyes and look in a different direction. <clears throat> for us, what we do includes both Saturday worship, the pro-anaphora, and Sunday worship. The whole weekend is captured in what we do, even if it's not literally on Saturday, or if it's during the week for a low mass, weekday mass. And for us, we are following the more important thematic, that is creation, recreation which is what the liturgy is trying to draw us to understand. So, in any case, we do it on Sunday for a reason, as you can see. So whatever you do, don't ever let the society around us say, oh, you people got it all wrong, it's supposed to be on Saturday. No, we don't. We got it right. Thank God that we're part of it. We can participate in it. Now, questions? Because there's a lot there. Yes, ma'am. Never a bad question. Well, if the night before Sunday is actually part of Sunday, mm -hmm. is that Sunday night or the next night? Well, for us, Sunday night would be the the following. Well, yeah, we can't even technically we can't even apply the terminology, okay. but. You know, that's why, is it post, is it Vespers? Which Vespers, first or second? Wow. See, 
which, by the way, that's Eastern, that's Western Rite terminology. I don't think the Eastern Rite uses a, 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 calls it a second Vespers, which we use in the Western Rite, if, and, that, and it's usually only under certain days. Um, anyway. I thought we worshiped Sunday because it was the resurrection. It is. It is the resurrection. The first day and the eighth day. Yeah, which is, yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. The resurrection is the recreation. So, yes, and um, our fasting schedule goes from morning to evening. Mm-hmm. It doesn't start the night before. Actually, it does. It starts at midnight. Midnight until. Is that the? Well, that would be the beginning of that. Yeah, and technically, a fast is from midnight. It's eighteen hours. Right. So from midnight until until first vespers of the ensuing feast. So it's. 17 hours maybe depends on when you do first vespers or if you do them and you know if we may have to do the mass some other time if you follow the rules strictly the mass is about 10 o'clock in the morning in the morning but practically in a parish sometimes that doesn't work if you have a parish of people that all work you have to have all your masses in the evening we have permission to do that Uh, so yeah, the, 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 the basic rule for fasting is if you're going to take communion four hours, at least four hours before. Or if you have health issues, one hour. Or just don't eat anything before you show up. So the first thing that we eat is communion. Well, that works really well at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's okay at 10 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't work if your mass that night is at 6 or 7. You know, you're starving all day. So those are the basic rules they follow. And it's supposed to help us not... We're not doing this because we're trying to find rules that we can follow so we can ensure we're right with God. It's, it's, it's open us. And that's the idea. It's a, it's a whole different perspective. It opens us up to God. Yeah. Yeah, they always do. They always do. Midnight. Mm-hmm. Well, you're asleep, see, so it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, but the fast has just gone from midnight to, to to first vespers, yeah, and which is roughly six o'clock, five five or six o'clock. And if Bishop Basil were here, I know he could tell you exactly why. And I, because he told me once, and I, I must confess that I do not remember. Uh, it's easier for me to learn just the hours. <laughs> That's why vigils. We have vigils in the Western Rite, and they're 18 hours, so they're from midnight until the the time of the vespers or the mass of the evening. We'll have a real anomaly this year because the fourth Sunday in Advent is actually the vigil of the Nativity. And it's a privileged vigil, so we have to observe it. So you're not supposed to fast on Sundays. <laughs> so I, I don't know what we're supposed to do there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, we won't have class next week, and uh, in two weeks we'll be looking at fixed liturgy, why we do fixed liturgy, because what we, people don't realize is that that's what's been handed on to us. 
And that's what they did in the New Testament. I love that line. It says, they ministered unto the Lord. And people say, see, they're doing, they're just praying and worshiping and hallelujah. Minister means to do liturgy. They did liturgy unto the Lord. Judaism has never known anything but liturgy. <laughs> so anyway, we'll look at why we have fixed liturgy. Because so, I want you to come here and get caught up in this. <laughs> it's really awesome. In case you haven't figured it out. Anyway, thank you.